0: Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. A few weeks ago, um, I was making homemade french fries. And um, I had the oil in the pot nice and hot. And uh, I had the potatoes all cut up into nice thin slivers. But as I poured my first batch of potatoes into the oil, everything went wrong. The oil foamed up, it overflowed onto the stove, and it caught fire. (laughs) Um, Now suddenly, just like that, I have a raging grease fire on the stove. And what do I do? Well, thankfully, I have a fire extinguisher that I can use, a kitchen fire extinguisher. And if you've ever used a a kitchen fire extinguisher, you know that it doesn't shoot water. It shoots a special kind of foam, right? Because if you pour water on a grease fire, what happens? Well, water doesn't mix with grease, so instead of putting out the fire, it just spreads the grease, therefore spreading the fire and making it worse. Well, thankfully, my grease fire uh, burned itself out before I had to use the fire extinguisher on it. But the image of pouring water on a grease fire is a good image to start with as we think about today's passage. Because the Apostle Paul argues in today's passage that when we use God's law, God's commandments, to try to get people to stop sinning, it's kind of like pouring water on a grease fire. God's law doesn't always stop people from doing what's wrong. In some cases, it just makes them sin even more. Listen to verse 8. Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandments produced in me every kind of coveting. Coveting is a, is a sin. It's when you want something that's not yours, that you're not supposed to have. And verse 9 also, Paul says, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Like pouring water on a grease fire. When, when you try to snuff out sin by applying God's law, you can wind up increasing sin all the more. And there's two reasons that, that Paul gives that religious rules have this sort of effect on sin. The first is that law, God's law, sheds new light on what before was hidden. So say, for example, a kid is bored and, and she decides, I know, I'm going to tease our cat. Um, and deep down she sort of knows that it's not nice to tease pets, but, but she's not thinking about that. She's thinking about how bored she is and how this could be interesting. Uh, But her mom notices what's going on and and anticipates, as moms often do, where it's heading and says, now dear, don't tease the cat. And now there's a command. It's a a command that shed light on the girl's behavior. Now she knows what she sort of suspected, that teasing the cat is wrong and she's not to do it. So now as she teases the cat... (laughs) She knows for sure that she's doing something wrong. That's what God's law does. It shines light on our behavior, it measures it, it clarifies it, showing us what it is, right or wrong. As Paul put it in verse 7 I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Do not covet. So that's the first way the law, like a grease fire, increases our sin. It sheds light on our bad moral choices, measuring them, showing them for what they are. The second way is that law draws a line in the sand and says, do not cross this line. And then suddenly there's something in us a little rebellious, a little curious, which says, but I like crossing lines. And how else will I discover what's on the other side of the line if I don't cross it? Last week, if you were here, I gave you the example of, of a boy whose neighbor puts a sign in front of their apple tree which says, do not pick the apples, right? I'll give you another example today from our family. Uh, when one of our kids was uh, just under two, we lived in a house which didn't have an oven. And uh, one weekend, we were staying in the home of some friends, and they did have an oven, and, and Anne was baking something in their oven. A- and she said to our toddler... Uh, who who didn't know about ovens, don't touch this oven, it's hot. And so what does this child do? Well, up to that moment, they had been playing happily, not even noticing there was an oven. But now they head right over to touch the oven, right? (laughs) The law increases sin by drawing a line in the sand, which just sometimes makes something in us want to cross that line. As Paul puts it in verse 8, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Paul ha- had also been getting at this dynamic that law increases sin back in verse 5, we looked at last week, Sunday. There he'd said, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. Sinful passions aroused. By the law. Like water on a grease fire, law just increases sin. That's why we saw last Sunday that Jesus Christ set us free from God's law. If we can have the slide. You remember this diagram from last Sunday? Whoops. There it is. In Romans 5 and 6, Paul had been describing two different ages, two different realms in which we can live. The old age is the age we're all born into. It's uh, the age of basic human existence, which goes all the way back to Adam, our, our first founding father. This age is characterized by sin, which Paul said leads to death. Also, on this side of the equation, Paul had put law, which we saw last Sunday, Paul knew needed some explaining, because of course God's law is good, so how could Paul lump it in the old age with sin and death? And Paul explained that that the law comes with a penalty. The law condemns those who break it. It condemns them to death and to judgment. The law also comes with demands of what we should do and shouldn't do and, and how we should live. And Paul said the law just causes sin to increase because of the last dynamic listed there on the old age side of the equation, the flesh, that way of existing where we're, we're all marked by an inner bentness towards selfishness, towards self-will, where we're going to make our own decisions, thank you very much, and, and we're going to do things our own way the best that we see them. That fleshly approach to life caused us to ignore God's law, to, to break God's law, which just increases sin and leads to death. So that was the old age Paul had described for us. But the good news Paul shared is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to the old age. And God raised him as the first human being to live in the new age, the age to come, the age of, of, of a resurrection in, in the new creation. And the even better news that Paul shared is that we don't have to wait until we die to join Christ in the new age. No, right now, we can put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be baptized, choosing to be in Christ. And if we're in Christ, what's true of Christ becomes true of us now. Like Christ, we can die to the old age. And like Him, we can begin to live in the new age. Paul spelled all this out in Romans 6. So back to our chart now, in the New Age, it's founded upon Christ. Instead of sin, the New Age is about righteousness, doing what's right and good to bear fruit for God. And instead of death, those in the New Age enjoy life, newness of life and eternal life. Instead of uh, receiving the penalty of the law, we receive grace and forgiveness. And instead of living by keeping the law's demands, we live by walking in God's Spirit, who gives us a new heart and guidance and power we saw last week to live in this new age. You remember all that? If you were here, hopefully you do. Rings a bell at least. Well, Paul is, is still troubled by the need to further explain why the law is in the old age and has been done away with in the New Age. He's a Jew after all. He has known and loved God's law his whole life. So why did Christ do away with the law? After all, as Paul says in verse 12, the law is holy, righteous, and good. If any of you have been to law school, you know this. (laughs) We need law to function as a society. We need law to restrain unethical and destructive behaviors. And much of our law today, still in America, has roots in in biblical law, as well as having roots in other religious and secular sources which philosophize about what's good and right and just. Law is generally a good thing. We're happy that we live in, in a place where there's rule of law, right? In the case of God's law, the Old Testament It came from God himself as an expression of God's mind and God's heart to teach people to live justly and fairly and lovingly, to teach us how to get along, to teach us to live in ways which express God's own character because we're made in God's own image. So how could God's law turn out to be bad? How could it be that that the law, which is a good thing, winds up arousing our sinful passions that God... Um, because it it arouses our sinful passions to to such an extent that that God has to choose to do away with it. Well, I wonder if another um, helpful analogy here might be uh, that of a young woman who struggles with an eating disorder. She steps on the scale, she looks in the mirror, and she concludes that she's fat. So she doesn't eat. She doesn't get the nutrition that she needs and and it affects her health and and her family is worried for her. They they see her every morning getting on that scale and and spending time in front of that mirror and and they're concerned for her health and they become desperate. And so they conclude that that mirror, that scale, they have to go. After all, these things are hurting her. They're triggering her problems. And, And maybe they're right. But but it's not really the scale's fault or or the mirror's fault, right? Any more than it's the law's fault when it points out our sin or actually provokes us to sin more. What what Paul is getting at in our passage is to say, I'm not blaming the law. The law is holy, righteous, and good. But nevertheless, the law had to go because it was not solving the sin problem. In fact... It was making it worse. But not only did God do away with the law, because first, the law actually increased sin. Second, he also did away with it because it leads to death. Verse 11. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. I think another helpful analogy here has to do with the human trafficking problem, which we have in Europe and also in the US. It works in a lot of different ways, it's a complex problem, Uh, but one scenario is that so-called Western business people go to other countries, they find poor people who are willing to work hard and who are desperate for an opportunity. And these so-called employers promise these recruits a work visa in some cases, um, and they promised them a job. They charge them a significant fee to, to make all the arrangements to bring them into a Western country. And then when these poor people get here, they basically enslave them. They tell them the work visa, if there was one promised, is taking longer than expected. It hasn't come through yet. And, and that their take-home pay is a lot less than expected because, of course, in this country there are a lot of deductions, payroll deductions, and the victim usually doesn't know the language, doesn't know anyone, and has nowhere to turn for help. But if they complain, the boss is going to remind them, well, you're an illegal now, and uh, do I have to turn you into the police, who will treat you terribly? Um, and if the victim becomes a problem, the, the boss may actually turn them into the police and use the law to have them deported. Problem solved. So these traffickers not only enslave people, but they actually in some cases use the law to help do it. That's what sin does. It promises us happiness. It promises us a good life, a better life. But then it gives us slavery and destruction instead. And to make matters worse, the sin uses God's law to do it. It deceives us into disobeying God's law just so that the law can condemn us and punish us, making our situation even worse. In fact, Paul says, verse 10, sin actually uses the law to condemn us to death. Because as Paul told us before, to stray from the good path of life that the law sets out before us is to head in the way that leads to death. And the penalty for breaking God's law is judgment and death. And so sin makes us great promises, um, goading us to break God's law. And then when we do, sin laughs as we wind up reaping death from what we've done. And so Paul says in verse 13, sin used what is good, the law, to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. And here's the thing. When, when we don't realize how deceptive sin is, we, we're tempted to put the blame on God's law. We're tempted to conclude that God is restrictive. God is a spoil sport for making all these rules. And, and how dare God judge us for doing what we want to do. And, and so we rail against God's law and, and, and sin laughs. The whole time. It's enslaved us to itself. It's led us to death. And then it's managed to get off scot-free by framing someone else for the crime. By making us think that it's God's law that's the problem. But Paul says, no, wake up, see what's happening. The law isn't bad. The law is holy, righteous, and good. It's sin that's using the law to reap all this havoc. But nevertheless, God did do away with the law for all these reasons. Not because it was bad, but because it had become a weapon in sin's hand just to make things worse for us. The law didn't work. Because of sin, the law just wound up being like pouring water on a grease fire. Well, then Paul describes a third way. Uh, that the law failed to solve our sin problem, and instead just made it worse. Not only did it cause sin to increase, not only did it lead to death, but also it made us struggle to the point of discouragement and despair. And here in verses 14 to 25, as Paul describes us, we come to some of the most popular words in the book of Romans. When, when I was in Romania a number of years ago, there was a guy on our team who had a great sense of humor, and he decided to use verses 14 and 15 to teach one of the Romanians we'd met to learn English. Uh, repeat after me, he said, What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Say that. <laughs> Nancy did a great job saying it this morning, but our Romanian friend, it's a tongue twister, right? <laughs> And we all relate to it. We all relate to to doing what we don't want to do. And and the good we want to do, we wind up not doing. And and there's a a huge debate about these verses because Paul uses the first person here, I. Is this Paul admitting that he does what he doesn't want to do and he doesn't do what he wants to do? I mean, isn't this the guy who said over in Philippians, as for righteousness based on the law, he was faultless? And who said to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Is the great apostle Paul now coming clean and admitting that he actually struggles like the rest of us do? Or is this Paul before he was a Christian? Or is this not Paul at all? Is it just a rhetorical advice where Paul's expressing the human struggle in the first person so we can all relate to it? And so there's a a big question, a theological debate about these verses. Is is Paul describing the struggle of someone who's a Christian? or, Or the struggle of someone who's not a Christian here? And we're tempted to say a Christian because we all relate to this experience. Um... But is that what Paul is saying? Well, here's the thing. We're getting off track with Paul's argument. That's something we need to be careful of is the Bible because we bring our experiences, we bring our questions to the text, and that's fine to do that, but we can't lose track of where Paul's going, where the Bible's going with the text. And, and, And if we do stop to remember, We remember in chapter 7, Paul hasn't been debating whether Christians struggle to do the right thing or not. What's he been talking about? He's been talking about the law. He's he's been explaining why God chose to get rid of the law even though the law was good. And Paul's been giving us reasons that the law, even though it's good, has, has turned out to be a big problem. First, because the law increases sin instead of stopping sin. Second, because um, the law gets used by sin to put people to death. And now third, because the law makes us struggle to the point of discouragement and despair. And and why does the law make us struggle? Well, again, because of sin. Because of sin, we can't keep the law. We hear the law, we, we admit it's spiritual, verse 14, but we are unspiritual, sold as slaves to sin, Paul says. And so we do what we don't want to do and we fail to do what we want to do. And so verse 16, if I do the wrong thing but I don't want to, this struggle proves that the law is good, Paul says. It proves, verse 17, that it's actually sin living in me that's leading me to do what's wrong. Again, it's sin that's the problem, not the law. But the law doesn't solve my sin problem It just causes me, in this case, to struggle to the point of discouragement or despair. I'm caught between my sin and God's law, and it's bringing me to the place of despair. So let me ask you a key question. Is this struggle that Paul is describing a struggle of someone living in the old age or someone living in the new age? Listen to some key words, as Paul describes the struggle, and look at our chart. Verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 17. It is not I who do it, but it is sin living in me. Verse 18. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh, sometimes translated, in my sinful nature. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Law, sin, flesh. It's all the language of the old age, right? So what, Paul, or what is Paul describing here? He's describing the struggle that we experience when we try to keep the law, but sin gets in the way. So we fail. Sin hamstrings the law and keeps it from being effective. Sin is like a grease fire that when you pour law on it, it just spreads all the more. Sin combined with law just leads to struggle and discouragement and despair. It leads to the cry of verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is where you wind up when you do your best in your own ability to keep the law. And so this struggle is not so much a question of whether you're a Christian or not. Rather, it's a question of which age you're choosing to live in. Are you living in the old age? Trying to please God by keeping his law, by overcoming sin as best as you can and willing yourself to do what's right. You'll never win that way. You'll never win that way. So move over to the new age, Paul would say. Move over from the old age to the new age. Realize that in Christ you have died to sin and been set free from its enslavement. And in Christ you've been made alive again to live in newness of life, to bear fruit for God. Not any longer by keeping the law, but by walking in the Spirit. Listen to Romans 8, just as a sneak peek of where Paul goes in the text we'll look at next week. And as you listen, look at the chart again. um, And look at the the, uh, the old age and the new age language that that Paul is using. Verse 2. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending his son Christ. Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Do you see all the old age new age language Paul's using? And you see how he's urging us to move from the old age to the new age? From sin and law to righteousness by the Spirit. Now, listen carefully. I'm not saying that we don't struggle with sin in the new age. We certainly do, even as we're led by the Spirit. I'm just saying that in my opinion, and I know there's a debate about this, but if we're following the argument of Paul, Paul is not describing the New Age struggle in these verses. The struggle that Paul is describing in these verses is the struggle of still trying to keep the law, living in the old age as slaves to sin. That's why God got rid of the age in the New Age, in the yeah and got rid of the law in the new age and set us free from sin and invited us to live by the Spirit. So what's the difference in the struggle, the old age struggle versus the new age struggle? How's it different to try to please God by keeping the law versus trying to please God by walking in the Spirit? Well, here's the difference. When we struggle to keep the law we become resigned to losing the struggle. When we struggle to keep the law, we become resigned to losing the struggle. I've been there. When I was in high school, um, I had a bad habit of joining in when a few of my friends teased a couple of the kids in our class. Uh, I knew it was wrong. I knew the command, thou shalt love thy neighbor, but I just couldn't help myself. My, my friends were all doing it. It was so funny. And, and I'd think of something really witty, witty to add, and I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. I just had to say it. And, and then I'd feel bad. I, I'd feel guilty. I'd beat myself up for doing it. But, but I kept doing it. I, I couldn't stop. Um, and I could even use these verses in Romans 7 to justify my struggle. I'm just like Paul. I would... Um, I'm just like Paul said I would be. I I do what I don't want to do, I I don't do what I want to do, oh well. (laughs) But I think Paul would say to me no don't take my words and use them to justify your losing the struggle. (laughs) I'm describing the old age. There I'm I'm explaining how, how sin keeps the law good though it was from being effective. But if your faith is in Christ, you're not to live in the old age anymore. Move over to the new age. Where you're dead to sin. You're freed from its slavery. And you're no longer, or it's no longer your master anymore. You are to live by the Spirit now. Will you still struggle? Sure. But here's the difference. In the new age... We expect to win the struggle (laughs) because we are dead to sin and we have been raised to newness of life. We have the Holy Spirit to give us new hearts, to guide us and to empower us. So we are victorious in Christ to bear fruit to God. And guess what? So fast forward a few years in my life now. I started living into the reality that I was dead to the old age and raised to newness of life. I started learning to walk in the Spirit, as we described last Sunday. And I had another struggle, one of many. Um, This time it was how I was relating to my mom. Um, I I was being cold, I was being reserved toward her because of some past stuff that that we'd been through. And the Spirit was nudging me to be more loving and warm. And, And I struggled to be that way, to change. It was hard to change, but but this time I expected to win that struggle and eventually I did. Because God changed my heart, he changed my desires, he healed some stuff in my heart toward my mom that needed to heal and he freed me up to be different. That's the outcome we expect in the new age. We expect to struggle and to win to win those battles, appropriating what Christ has accomplished for us, becoming the person Christ has saved us to be. And so, in the New Age, we can say with Paul what he says later in chapter 8, verse 37, and this is a great place to end. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen.